Hey, good morning, everybody. I'll tell you, I am so glad to have a voice. Last night, it was pretty much gone. Hopefully, it'll last at least halfway through. Somebody brought me a drink up here. I have no idea what's in it. But it's really good. It's really good. Those of you that are guests with us this weekend, thank you for being here. And I hope you got a drink out in the lobby. There's always hot coffee for you and teas and other things out there. But you are here for the main event right now. And that is we've come to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to open up his word and to hear what he has to say to us, his people, and how he wants us to live. So I want you to grab your Bible and I want you to turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians is towards the back. It's a letter, one of the many letters to the early church. So it applies to you and I today, Philippians chapter two. And for those of you who are part of the MCC family, thank you for your response this week. Every month or so, just like I promised, I send you guys out a little update on the Above and Beyond project as we make room for more. And thank you for responding to that and for your decision to increase your giving above and beyond in some small way so that all of us can be part of this important next step as we finish closing that in and try to continue to finish that space in the next year so that we can spread out a little bit and enjoy getting to know all of the people that God continues to bring home here at MCC. I want to congratulate the Whaley family right over here, Stephanie, and, uh, and what's your name? <laughs> Travis. Stephanie, Travis, congratulations on little Hayes Alexander. At least I got that one right. Welcome home to little Hayes. Was born just a little bit over a week ago, and uh, I did their wedding. Can't even remember their names, but... Uh, but so glad, so glad to see you guys. Well, this week in our F260 reading plan, we came to the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a great read. I hope that you were part of that reading. If not, it's not too late to join in. We've been going through the Bible from cover to cover. Last week, Brandon was in Ephesians chapter 2, and we are in Philippians chapter 2. As Paul talks to us, Paul and Timothy speaks to the early church on the subject of allowing God's transformative work to continue in our lives. Last week, Brandon taught us that before we come to Christ, we are spiritually dead. And the last thing that we want to end up as is dead, dead, physically dead and spiritually dead, living separated from God. But when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ in baptism, when we rise up out of that watery grave, we are spiritually alive. And for those who are spiritually alive, God's spirit inside of us has a work that is to continue, Paul writes in chapter one of Philippians, will continue until we are face to face with Christ or until he comes for us all. And so Paul writes to us and to the early church, and he speaks specifically to the attitude that we are to have toward self and toward the people around us as believers who are being transformed. And so let's look together in chapter two, verse one. It reads, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, 
if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. Father, today as we look to your life-giving word, specifically the transformation your spirit and word bring to our attitude, may you confront us full on in the areas where we have denied you access. May we understand today, God, that our relationship with others, our relationship with our spouse, our friends, our children, is a direct reflection of the relationship we either have with you or that we've neglected with you. And the transformative power of your spirit that either makes us like you or Father without leaves us floundering for how to behave. May you be glorified and may we live in the fullness of the life that you bring through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because it's in his name that we live and move and breathe. And it's in his name that we come to you today. Amen. Amen. There are certain topics that are common in every one of Paul's letters to all of these early churches. When we say the early church, after Jesus ascended into heaven, right, after rising from the dead, spending 40 days appearing and proving that he had risen from the dead, in the book of Acts, you see Paul going out on these journeys, missionary journeys, and launching these early churches of believers. And every one of these churches had an issue in common, multiple issues in common. But the issue that we're going to look at today is the issue of relationship breakdown. And the thing about relationship breakdown is that the earthly relationships that God has given us they are a direct reflection of the relationship that we have with God. And so he addresses these subjects of relationship. He begins by reminding us that when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ in baptism, that the internal as well as the external, our behavior of this transformation should be obvious. And one of the most reflective is our relationship with other people. It's the litmus test, if you will, of our relationship with Christ. And so here in verse 1, Paul reminds us, if we've been united with Christ in our baptism, if we've received him in salvation and the gift of his Holy Spirit, then we should be united with Christ in spirit and in attitude Toward others. We should have the same love. We should have the same humility, the same thought process that when something occurs in our relationship, we should think through it. Remember the little silly bracelets, what would Jesus do? It's really what has Jesus done? How should we be emulating that? Because he lives inside of us. 
We should be engaging God's transformative power in every aspect of our life, beginning right here in our heart, our soul, our strength, our daily living. His transformative power being the very Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us at our salvation. His spirit that Galatians 5 says is what produces love inside of us, joy, peace, and patience. All the things that are essential and reflective in our relationship with other patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. In fact, Paul goes on in verse 5 and he just declares it. Your attitude, not just your attitude in specific times or specific places, but your attitude, period, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And what is that attitude? How do we have that attitude inside of us? How do we let that attitude out and overcome ourself and our fleshly Attitude. Well, Paul describes this continuing in verse 6. He says, who, he's talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, this is a difficult concept. I, I will grant you that, but don't get hung up on the concept and miss the point. Paul is addressing here the reality of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, through the Holy Spirit. You've heard it referred to maybe as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three personalities, three perceptions of God, but all in one. I know it's a concept that blows our mind. But it's the point that matters that Paul's making here. And that is that Jesus Christ had every right to the privileges and honor due him as God. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And he had every right. He had every right to the privileges and honor due him, Jesus Christ, as God, but in order that you and I could have relationship with God, in order that the sin barrier, the great divide between us and God that is created by our sinfulness, in order that that could be bridged, he did not cling to those rights. Instead, he relinquished them in order to become a man. Jesus Christ chose, he chose to leave the splendor of heaven to live in the limitations of earth. And I want you to think for a minute about the reality of that. He chose, he chose to live in the limitations of human understanding rather than to tap into the divine. We're limited in our understanding. We, we can't always see what's going on beyond the moment. And Jesus Christ gave up that privilege and took on that limitation as a man. He chose to endure the limitations of a physical, earthly body. I turned 55 yesterday. Brandon turned 56. We share the same birthday. <laughs> but I want you to think about what that meant 
It meant that he chose to take on the requirements of sleep and aching muscles and hunger and frustration, temptation, and time. He could have spoken a word. He could have spoken a word and it take place right then and there, but yet he had to walk miles and days before he could address the needs that were there. Jesus Christ set aside his privilege and faced the same kind of pressure, the same type of temptation and struggles that we have. Why? Also, we could know God. And let me just say now that he expects the same from you and I, that we set aside our privilege. I'm not talking about this crap that they spout on TV and the news all the time about how we're privileged. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the reality that when we walk in here as believers, when we're out at Walmart as believers, when we're at our school as believers, we have a lot of privileges in Jesus Christ. And we don't hide those, but we set them aside and we look at the needs of others first. Amen. We go after the world. And we love them no matter what we have to give up. It's one of the realities that we celebrate this month. Jesus chose to come to the earth as an infant. He was born of a virgin and embraced the life that we live all so that we could know God. Jesus Christ had a greater priority than his own uninterrupted glory. And that priority was you and me. The New Living Translation says it this way. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took up the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And so when Paul says in verse five, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus when it comes to relationship with other people. Is it? Is it? Is your attitude the same as Christ when it comes to the people around you, your family, your church? We just celebrated Thanksgiving Last week, what a test. What a test of our willingness to set ourselves aside. Our privileges as the matriarch of the family. Our privileges as the dad who has grown children and families of their own. Did we demand that they come to sit at our table? Or did we let them have their own new family and go and support them? You get the idea. Paul's speaking to a problem that he found in every gathering of God's people. Whether it was in Philippi or Corinth, Ephesus, Rome. I imagine today he would say the church in Memphis, New Albany, and Henryville. There's this disconnect, my friends, between Jesus' attitude toward people and those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ's attitude toward other people. And how does that disconnect occur? Well, it's where Paul started today. 
We have yet to surrender that aspect of our being and truly be united with Christ beyond the act of salvation. The Spirit is so willing, my friends, to continue that transformation. The problem is, is we aren't always that willing. And so Paul continues in verse 8. He says, Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, don't miss this, because I have all of my life, I've always limited Christ's humility as that of giving up heaven, and that is quite a humble act giving up his ability to draw on his godly resources, his godly mind, his godly body. And that took a lot of humility. But not only did Jesus set aside his position as the son of God and leave heaven and earth to come to a cradle, but he grew as a physical man and he humbled himself again and again and again and again. He humbled himself as a teenager. He humbled himself as a young adult. He humbled himself as a 33-year-old man all the way to the cross where he bore what was not his to bear. It's the greatest act of love. It's the greatest act of love ever carried out by a man that he would lay down his life for you and me that he would redeem that which was spiritually destined for death, eternal separation from God. I've said a dozen times over the last year and all the years before that, that what Jesus Christ endured as a man on the cross speaks an eternity about the reality of sin. I'm sure that those nails going through his hand had to be painful. I don't know that I, I would probably pass out. That those nails into his, the tops of his feet going all the way through into that wooden cross, that had to be painful. But yet the time that he cried out was when, when God put all of our sin on him and he felt what? He felt the separation that sin brings from God. In that moment in time, he demonstrated to us what it is to be spiritually dead, to be absent of any hope, to be absent of the presence of God and his redeeming grace in our life and he cried out in that moment my god my god why have you forsaken me that was the greatest pain ever experienced and he was obedient to death in that you and i would not have to experience that pain now when we hear that he was obedient all the way unto death we automatically think of his physical death, but I want you to consider the day-to-day -day laying down of his life and what that included. When he walked in human likeness, flesh and blood, he set aside. He did not respond to the desire to strike back against those who opposed him. I'll tell you, the older I get, the more trouble I'm having with that. 
I find myself, I can fly off the handle in just a second. I get so frustrated with people and with things. But Jesus didn't. Those who cursed and spat on him, he chose to die for them. He dealt with people in his hometown who would only see him as a carpenter's son instead of the spiritual giant that he was, studying from an early age to memorize the Torah, to read the scrolls, and to study the way that he did, even at 12, 13 years old, let alone those who denied his divine purpose after showing proof of God's power in his life. He chose to lay down his life every day that he was here. And Jesus said to his followers, to you and I today, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I ask you, this is the attitude of Christ. Is it yours? Is it yours? You see, there's a difference between dying for someone and laying down your life for someone. You've noticed uh, every fall and sometimes in the spring, anytime we can scratch together enough money, we are traveling as a family. And that's because my girls love to travel. They love to see things. The last few years we've been out west and you've heard me tell about them climbing those mountains, hoping to leave me halfway up and go home with my life insurance money. It hasn't worked yet. Before that, before that, we were in big cities, Chicago, New York City. And I'll tell you, it's in those big cities when we went to see Wicked on Broadway in New York, walking out of that theater some 12 blocks because we couldn't stay in the nice hotel. We had to stay in the dump over by the tunnel. And so here we are walking at 11, 11 o'clock at night, 1030. And you know what was going through my mind, dads, Right? That is, what, what, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? How am I going to respond when one of these jacks jumps out, you know, from behind the corner where they've been peeing in the street, you know? When they come out and try to do something to my family. And I decided over and over again, every night that we were there, every moment that we were walking, that I would do my best to defend, but I would ultimately just lay my life down for them. I, I would rather die than to have one of them hurt. And some of you have had children with severe illness, grandchildren with illness. And you know as well as I do that if God would have allowed it, you would have taken that on and died a death for that child or that grandchild. We all would. But you know, it's a completely different thing to lay down your life every day for those people, even that you love. Uh, I struggle with that, I gotta say. Olivia drives the nicest car that we have in our household. <laughs> My 17-year-old daughter, she drives the Buick, I drive the Honda. I had a flat tire this week because my tires are thin, her tires are healthy. Why? Because it has more safety features. She is safer in that car than any car that we own, and as much as I want to drive that Buick, I call it hers. What about the times when, as a dad, right, you get mad, you get angry because you get afraid, 
You know those moments when your kids do something and you, and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, I failed them. I have not shown them this. And so you get so worried about, I've, I've got to catch up. I've got to teach them these things because if I don't, they're going to experience these hardships. And then you get mad about it. And so you react like a fool. And then you have to lay down your life again and again by apologizing and by restarting. It's tough to lay down our lives and our wants and our wishes and desires for the good of someone else. Yet this is the command. And maybe for you it's something else. Maybe this is reminding you that you need to give up your right to revenge and, and extend forgiveness to someone who hurts you. <laughs> That's the same thing. Maybe give up your right to fight back and instead build a bridge. Maybe this is the time in your life where you're just wanting to do your own thing and you need to stop. And you need to think about other people for change. In verse nine, Paul continues with Christ's example. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you see the transition? He came to the cradle and he experienced what it is to be reliant, to be helpless. He grew into a young man and into an adult. And what did he do? He took up his cross. He denied himself and he followed God's will. And now what has God done? God has placed him at his right hand in heaven as the rightful king that he is. He's placed a crown on his head. Jesus Christ ultimately placed his life in the hands and will of God, trusting that God is faithful. And you and I are to do the same thing. God is faithful to continue the transformation in you that began at your baptism if you're willing to allow him to do so. And again, the health of your relationships, the relationships that you have right here, are a reflection of how well you are doing in allowing that transformation to continue. And so in verse 12, Paul gives us, you and me, the therefore, the action statement on our part. So what do we do with all of this? Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation. Now listen, I want you to hear me on this. God is not saying that you work for your salvation. That's wrong. Salvation is a free gift. There's nothing that you and I can do 
to earn God's grace and forgiveness and love and his Holy Spirit in our lives. I wish it were that way that we could earn it, but the reality is, is none of us could. And so we have to accept it as a free gift, but working out our salvation from the inside out is a completely different idea. When we call Jesus Lord, when we call Jesus Lord, we're not saying that he's a good role model. We're not declaring him to be the leader of our club. We're not merely acknowledging him as a wise teacher, but when we call him Lord, we're declaring his right over our lives. You see, that's where the fearful respect comes into place. That's where the obedience to God comes into play. Paul explains this in detail in chapter three as he describes himself this way, straining and pressing on toward this goal of God continuing that transformation in his life, trembling in his own weakness at times from the fatigue of surrender and self-sacrifice. You see, we too follow the same path as Jesus. We start out in the cradle. We desire that independence. We, we want our rights. We want our privileges. But Jesus said, if you follow me, you're gonna take up your cross and you're gonna deny yourself. You're gonna lay down your life for others daily. And what happens in the end? Well, then the last become first. And on that great day when we stand before God, God himself will place a crown upon our heads. The crown of life, eternal. When we bow before him as the ruler of the universe and the one who holds the keys to life and death, we're acknowledging that his wisdom is superior to ours, that he is our Lord and our God. Is he yours? Because if he is, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, well, then your attitude should be the same. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. And if it isn't, if it isn't, then make him yours today by surrendering your life to him in baptism, receiving the transformative power, that gift of his Holy Spirit inside of you. Receive his attitude, the mind of Christ and allow that transformation to be real from the inside to your daily interactions and relationships with others. This is the message from the word of God to you today. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we stand before you today humbled, that you would choose to set aside your own glory in order to come to this planet and live the life of a human.
also that we could know you, be united with you, and be transformed by you into the likeness of your son, Jesus. Father, in obedience, we ask that your will be moved forward through the transformation of our heart, our mind, and soul, and ultimately visible in our actions towards those that you've given us to have relationship with. For those who do not yet know you as Savior and Lord, use us. Use our surrender that we could bear witness to your great love and our relationship with them. It's in the name of the one who died for us that sits at your right hand that we pray these things according to your good and perfect will, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, this is your therefore moment. This is your opportunity to respond. And I imagine that that response <coughs> could look a number of ways this morning. For some of you in this room, I know there are many of you that are new to MCC and we are so glad that you're here. But perhaps this morning has identified a need in your life and that is the need for Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. You look at your life right now and you recognize that your relationships may be out of kilter. Perhaps it's the own attitude of your mind. You just, you just can't be satisfied. No matter how much you have, you just can't seem to be filled. Your need, your need is Jesus. You were created by God with this, this need for him. This hole inside of you, some people describe it as, that can only be filled by him. Come and receive him as Savior and Lord of your life. For others of you, you've been a Christ follower for a long time. And God kept his end of the promise. When you surrendered your life to him in baptism, he gave you his Holy Spirit. But boy, the laying down your life part has gotten really real in your life. Your kids have brought problems into your home. The realities of health and physical struggle have become very real. And you're unsure if God will continue that transformative work in you. Let me say to you this morning, that he is more than willing and he has promised to continue that work until he comes for you. But you have to let him. And letting him is sometimes so very difficult. As we talked this Wednesday night with my friend who was here who struggled all of his life until he was 34 with an addiction. He said that his mother was killing him. His mother who loved him with all of her heart but because she was unwilling to make those hard choices, have those hard conversations, to cut him off, he tried to take his own life, only to fail at that too. And then he met Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're that parent right now, or you're that individual, and you need someone to pray with you and to encourage you and to remind you that God is working that he was working when he brought you here today this is not a coincidence 
David's at the back wall back there, our next steps area. I'm right here. The room is filled with people that are willing to help you take that next step, beginning with a prayer. Come, come as we sing.